Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Spain 6, Germany nil. What a result this morning in the Nations League as we kick off another episode of the Ganger Pod with much to talk about from the week that's been and a hell of a lot to look forward to in the Premier League this weekend. David Wiener with you once again, joined by John Aloisi and Michael Bridges. Let's get straight into it. Guys, no Premier League over the last weekend, but we have not been short of fun football and football headlines to talk about. Great to see you both again. John, to you first. Good to see you back. Refreshed after a... A weekend off in the Premier League and a week off with the Champions League and ready to go again. Yeah, ready to go again. I'm happy to see Bridgie. I haven't seen Bridgie for a couple of weeks, so it's uh, good to see him again. And uh, yeah, great to be back on the show and can't wait for this weekend's round of Premier League football. Some big games. Huge. Bridgie, welcome back. Good to see you. Great to be back. Thank you very much. The Gagan Pot is back. Football is back. And the international games have actually been outstanding. I've enjoyed watching them apart from England's um, you know, defeat against Belgium. I thought Belgium were outstanding and England yet again getting questions asked about Southgate. Is he the man? Well, we'll take into all of that shortly and uh, we're going to kick off with the huge result from this morning. But before we do, just a, a quick happy November 16 week to you, John. Obviously a, an important week in, in, in your life, the life of Australian football fans, um, the life of Australian football. Um, do you take a second to sort of reflect on that day when it rolls around each year. I know certainly as a as a fan who was there that night prior to my career, it's certainly something that I look back on fondly uh, every time the anniversary rolls around. Yeah, it's not like I look at the date, Dave. I, I what you get reminded of it each year. Don't worry <laughs> yeah, about I'll that. Get, I get reminded of it. But what I love about it is uh, reading people's stories of where they were in that moment because everyone remembers um, what they were doing, if they were, where they were watching the game. Some great stories about watching the game from other parts of the world. Um, great stories about the people at the stadium that couldn't watch, that were you know that were closing their eyes or hiding, and then you know hugging strangers. It's a uh, you know, to be part of something that meant so much to everyone, uh, that's something special that, uh, you know, I'm lucky that I was uh, part of that night. Dave, John's just being very humble because I have actually seen the calendar and diary in his phone. It's got, <laughs> on his calendar, it's got wife's birthday, kid's birthday dates, anniversaries, and in big, bold writing, <laughs> the World Cup penalty. <laughs> Bridgie, what you haven't seen is that uh, my alarm clock, I wake up to watching that every morning. <laughs> on repeat I love it and why not mate why not what's the funniest moment or the sort of the time you've been caught out by surprise or someone just run up to you or tapped you on the shoulder or, or just come to you with that moment over the last 15 years it must be almost like a, a just a repeat every couple of weeks that just comes up somewhere well, someone asked me about uh, when were you most surprised? And I think it was, uh, this has gone back a few years now. I was going to, uh, I was down in Melbourne and uh, it was a, 
I think it was a Melbourne Cup event and it was quite late into the night and I was coming up the elevator and Cam Smith was coming down and he and the door opened and he just went, Aloise! <laughs> and I'm thinking, was that Cam Smith that just did that to me? And then we looked at each other and we walked off. So it was um, quite funny. That, that moment was, might be in his new book. You never know. <laughs> you never know. I think there's a bit more interesting stories in his new book. Uh, very good. As, as I said, a great moment. And, uh, you know, I think part of the reason why we're able to sit here talking about football now is in this industry is so much to do with that, that famous night. So long may we celebrate it going into the future and uh, hopefully have many more moments like that to come. I tell you, who's not having a moment like that at the moment is Germany. Let's start with that. I mean, straight to you, John, because I know you absolutely relished watching this performance from Spain this morning. I'll reiterate it, 6-0 in the Nations League, the biggest competitive defeat Germany have ever suffered. Yeah, there's a few reasons why I, I love watching Spain. Um, I spent some time with Luis Enrique going back a few years ago when he was at Celta Vigo, and then he went to Barcelona. So I've kept a close eye on his career after that. And um, what they were lacking a little bit were the last few games was goals. And they didn't lack that this morning. But the amount of chances they created, it was something like 23 shots to Germany's two at goal. And they were creating chance after chance. And it was the way that they were playing their football. When, when Germany would press, Spain would find a way to play through their press and then attack, especially in those wider areas where their fullbacks went and pressed high. And the quickness of their movement, it was probably... And I'm not exaggerating. One of the best performances I've seen from a national yeah. team ever. That's how good it was. 70% possession to Germany's 30%. How good Spain were was also how poor Germany were. And so there's going to be a lot of question marks and questions over Joachim Lowe. Whether, whether he's the man to take him to the Euro, who will replace him if they do get rid of him? Um, but we know that this is the biggest loss that Germany's ever had since the 1954 World Cup, I think it is. So this this is going to uh, be a story in itself for, I think, a few weeks now in Germany, um, also in Spain, because now they'll start to really believe they can win the Euro. Well, coming from an Englishman, any team that beats Germany, I'm happy. But when it is done in the manner in what Spain did it and the amount of goals, it was tremendous. John just mentioned there that it was total football. You get this... When you're going through, are you a possession-based team? Are you an attacking-based team, counter-attack? John just mentioned how good the stats were for Spain. And just to give an idea as well, there was 830-odd passes. Out of them passes in the possession, 93% were accurate, like how accurate they were. But yet again, it wasn't in their own half. Mm. It was all over the field. They created the chances. For me, it was total football because they also had the counter-attacking moments in there when they exploited Germany. The, bomb, the fullbacks were bombing on. And at times it was almost four against two in favour of Spain, if not three against two every time. I just, I agree with you, John. I thought it was a magnificent performance and one of the best I have seen from Spain. And I've seen a lot of their performances over the years. It was just a joy to watch. Before Marat, put the knife, sorry, go on, John. Yeah, sorry. Maratta seems reborn again. Um, okay. You know, since he's been at Juventus, he looks so sharp this morning. Ferran Torres is coming of age already. He's only 20 years old. And you've seen just how easily he's sort of fitted into Man City. Yeah. And this morning, the way he took his goals. Um, Coco, he's been around for a long period. The only downside probably this morning was Sergio Ramos going off with a, a hamstring injury. But... Um, Luis Enrique, we, you, I mentioned him before. Yeah. I think he's probably the one of the most underrated coaches going around in the world. Um, he's always been in the shadow of sort of uh, 
Guardiola because Guardiola's tiki-taka at Barcelona and what he was able to achieve with that side. But uh, he, he won a treble with Barcelona, and that's that's no easy feat. And, and, and also, we've seen since he's left, they've really struggled to find that form again, Barcelona. So I'm wondering why he hasn't really been approached by a, a big club in the Premier League. He, he speaks good English because he lived here in Australia for a year, um, up in Noosa, actually, <laughs> uh, doing a bit of surfing. And uh, so it, I, I think it's only a matter of time before a Man United or someone like that will come in for a Luis Enrique. The most impressive thing about it, Bridget touched on it, it wasn't just passing, it wasn't just possession. It was the fact that it was passing with purpose. Every time we saw them play, it was almost like something was going to come off it. That's the tweak he added to Barcelona. That's the tweak he's added to Spain. He's actually got the ability to almost combine all the facets of football, the, the, the tiki-taka that Spain were renowned for, but with a bit of purpose. Yeah, and, and you see that in his training and the way he sets up his training. So as soon as a player is able to face forward, it's play forward, play the ball forward, um, and, and it's quick. You know, that, that He's not afraid to go a little bit more direct at times, and he was able to do that this morning with Murata. So, you know, bypass the midfield, just play straight into the striker. As he lays it off, the midfielders are actually facing forward, and that's when they can start to make those forward runs. So it, you're right, it just doesn't keep possession for possession's sake. It's actually, all right, can we penetrate? Can we yeah. go forward? Mm. It did play into their hands, though, that Germany like to try and press. And, uh, you know, Spain at times struggle when a team really sits deep and, and makes it hard for them, especially in that deep block. But uh, impressive performance. So you asked the question before, John. Let's answer it. Uh, we'll go to Bridgie first. Um, Yogi Lowe, you know, in the Nations League, the only team they beat was Ukraine. Uh, you know, they, they drew the Swiss. They drew, they, they didn't beat Spain. They've been so unconvincing for so long. Like, can they really hold out for another campaign? 14 years he's been in charge. I was about to say, I think it, um, I, you know, I don't like doing managers out of, out of positions, but I think with the quality in the youngsters in Germany in the managerial, you know, Nagelsmann is at Red Bull Leipzig and people that they've got around the world as well, they've, they've learned their trade. I think they're, I think they're due a freshen up. I've got to be honest with you, because even since the World Cup, when, um, you know, you know, when they had that amazing result against, against Brazil, that was that was them at their their best, and I, I just think that they've kind of they need a new DNA, they need a new identity because when you're getting done by a Spanish team by that amount, you you know the the players they they almost looked like they'd run out of ideas. They, they didn't know how to stop it, and he looked a broken man when he walked off. He didn't hang around on the field. He was gone, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's not if the decision is made or whether he takes the decision on himself to say enough is enough. I think he would rather bow out on his own his own terms rather than getting sacked. And I, th- I think it would be time for Germany to have a whole new restructure because we've got some fantastic youngsters coming through. I think they need a new a new um a new bit of inspiration at the top with a young a young um leader that's doing well in domestic football. Well there's nothing wrong with the team on paper, John. Uh, and all the players that are uh, you know vying for positions. Uh, the question he's been given the vote of confidence again after the game straight away but the question to you I guess is it more is Jurgilo the right man or who actually is available to come in knowing that uh, everyone says that Jurgen Klopp is the man they've all got their eyes on but he's at he's at Liverpool till I think 2024 yeah I think it's more who's available because we talk about the young managers that uh, the Germans have got and they've got great young coaches um, whether they want to take the job or they want to stay in their their jobs at the moment because the national team setup is a bit of a different one because you you have to you know go long periods without coaching and as a young coach you want to be on the field 
day in, day out. You know, you don't want to be away from it. You don't want to be traveling and watching games and you want to be there, you know, with the players. You want to be a game every three, four days. Um, national team setups a little bit different. So I don't know who can replace him if there's anyone out there at the moment for, for Germany. But um, the, the question mark is there. We, we know that because they haven't been good for a long period. You're right. They only beat the Ukraine. And I think they, they only won one game this year so far, mm. uh, maybe two in, in the calendar year. So they're going to go into the Euro and they're not going to be the favourites. And yeah. If, for Germany to not go in as one of the favourites is is unheard of, really, I mean, when you think I'm, about it. I mean, you look at the league, the Bundesliga, it's so exciting, it's so fast, it's so furious. There's goals galore. And you, you think that filter system would go up to the national team, but they just seem to play with different dynamics when they're under uh, Yugi Love. And I don't think that the players of, of Embrace have enjoyed what they're doing. They prefer that club land. And that's why I think they need there will be changes and there needs to be changes. Um, and I think some of the players might, might actually have a say in it as well. You know what? The the best candidate for the job, I mean, we've talked about Nagels, we've talked about Tuchel, but they're all building their careers. The best man for the job is probably Hansi Flick, but he's I now agree. enjoying his moment in the sun at Bayern Munich. So it'd be I, interesting to see if they can prize him he's, away. He's done it. He's, he's won the Champions League, so yeah. give him the national. Yeah, yeah, I agree. because And, and he was an assistant there during that period when they were successful with the national team. So is he the brains behind uh, Yogi Love? Uh, yeah. You know, Flick. Yeah. You know, a lot of people um, hadn't really heard of him. He's always been in the background. Now he's starting to show with Bayern Munich what he's been able to do and the football they play, Bridgie. Yeah, that's exciting. That's, yeah, that's what is. the German national team will be wanting to replicate. They want to be playing that style of football and uh, and beating teams as easily as they do. I, I think also he'll be in an easier transition because he still know quite a majority of the staff. Yeah. That I wish the national setup because he's been involved there. So again, it's it's familiar faces. He would have built very good relationships with them, people in the background. So they they would embrace that, and um, I think he'd be welcomed with open arms. And uh, that's a that's a good call, Mister Weiner. Put one out every now and then. Just just po- just pose it out there, poke it out there. Um, what else took your fancy this morning over the last couple of days? Um, France four, Sweden two this morning. Croatia two, Portugal three. There's obviously the uh, Belgium result early in the week. Belgium two, England nil. Um, Italy, they're back in action tomorrow. Actually, the, the stakes are quite high in that group with uh, Italy and Poland. Uh, they won two nil against Poland uh, the other day as well. Um, what has taken your fancy otherwise in, in the Nations League, uh, John? Yeah, I would say that Italy, um, you know, refreshing to see the way they're playing because we all... Uh, think about the Italians being Catanaccio and very defensive, but that, that, that changed that over the last uh, 10 years, you'd say. And um, and their national team starting to show that they can play that exciting football as well and with young, talented players coming through. So um, it was good to see their, their win against Poland because the, the, you know, the, the Polish national team has been very strong for a few years now with some great players, but they dominated that game and won easily. So they've probably been the standout, but... Um, you know, and also Belgium, because Belgium, you know, uh, have been the one number one nation in the world with the, the quality they've got. This is their golden generation. Mm, mm, they need mm. to win something now because it, when you look at their players, uh, quite a few of them are getting a little bit older. And I'm not sure whether they're going to have another generation like this for a long period. No, oh, it's a special one. It's pretty hard to match. Um, speaking of that group, uh, League A, Group 1, Thursday morning, if you're listening to us on Wednesday, it's Italy against Bosnia and Herzegovina, Netherlands against Poland, and Italy, Netherlands, and Poland can all 
top that group to qualify for the finals uh, next year, which is a long way away, a long way to think about, but that's what's at stake now. And also, Bridgie, Soa is obviously England and Iceland is a bit of a redundant game, um, but Belgium and Denmark are playing off for that other spot uh, to join France and Spain in the finals next year. Dave, there's one game that I'm going to be watching with eagle eyes, and that is Israel against Scotland, because Scotland have qualified for the US for the first time in 20 odd years. They're back in the Nations League, and I am going to have my Israeli scarf on, and I'm going to be supporting <laughs> all the way, and I hope Scotland get absolutely smashed. There you I'll go. Lend, I'll lend you a few jerseys, Bridget. I've got a few of those. Uh, Thank at you home very much, Ryan. <laughs> but, but it was good to see Scotland qualify. I, I think it, it's uh, the atmosphere they just create. I know they're not going to probably be fans at the Euro, but uh, I'm sure there'll be <laughs> the pubs pretty packed. And well, they're in the England group as well, aren't they? Yeah, so that's that's going to be exciting. Yeah, it's going to be I, huge. I, I think. They say try everything once in life. I supported Scotland that one night and they got through. I didn't enjoy it and I won't be doing it again. <laughs> they were great scenes though. They were really good scenes ending that uh, enormous uh, trophy drought there. Um, we'll touch on France a little bit later with some Paul Pogba um, comments that he made and Didier Deschamps have made. Um, otherwise, um, anything else take your fancy there? I want to talk to you, Bridgie, about England because we, we mentioned that... Um, you know, the Iceland game, they might as well not even play it tomorrow. I mean, really, the, yeah. the stakes on it are absolutely minimal. Yeah. Well, I know that Mourinho won't want it to be played. <laughs> There'll yeah. be a few managers that will be going, please don't play this game. Absolutely. Please put out the under-21 side. because I, John, I would of- not be surprised if some of the managers have texted their players saying, listen, if you are feeling anything, you go and see the Physio of England squad straight away. Yeah. And if it's not feeling too bad, make sure it feels very bad because we need you for the weekend. Well, I know that we're going to be talking about it in a little bit, Dave, but um, yeah, they're dropping like flies. And, yeah. and it, it, well, let's touch on it now. Let's touch on it now because, I mean, you mentioned Jose and he put out a really snide uh, Instagram post about the joy of the international week and the joy of COVID tests and whatnot. You can see it on the Optisport social channels if you haven't seen it yet. Or you can look on Mourinho's Instagram too. That's probably the easiest place to find it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it is a real headache for managers all across the planet. You mentioned Ramos before. Rafael Varane went off in the France game. That's Real Madrid's centre-back pairing. It has been a week of carnage. Oh, you know, I actually really feel for the managers. I do. And and I know that people are going to say, yeah, but it's part of the game and, and it's part of the, the whole situation. I also feel for the players. The, the players are getting treated like cattle. They, you know, they're, they're playing... I think it's ridiculous, first of all, that they had to play a friendly game last week, the national teams, on the Wednesday. And then you'd back up on a Saturday and play Nations League and then again uh, this morning and then tomorrow morning, first first of all. The second one is the Premier League not allowing five su- substitutes in a game. I, I think that also it, it doesn't make any sense. When you've got in La Liga and other leagues around Europe, they're, they're allowed to make five subs. So that, that's the first thing. But, uh, you know... It does make it more exciting for us as yeah. punters and as supporters that um, you just don't know what's going to happen in a, no. in a weekend of yeah. football and in the Premier League football, you know, that anyone can beat anyone. Uh, you look at the moment with uh, Leicester and Spurs and Southampton in the top three, four. Um, so, you know, our, our picks at the start of the season aren't looking so promising with uh, Liverpool and uh, even though I think that they'll still be up there at the end of the season. It makes it hard for the managers, but this is where the managers really need to earn their money, Bridget. Oh, oh, the Premier League, the amount of money that's involved at stake there, the international matches, the amount of money that's, like you say, they're a piece of meat at the moment, the players. The player welfare has been thrown out the window for them players, and that's what I, that's what I do feel for. They, they don't have any say whatsoever. 
And we are living in Australia, a lifestyle at this moment in time in the current climate where we are, along with New Zealand, are better than any other country in the world as opposed to getting back to normal lifestyle. Mm. I still can't believe the travel arrangements and things that are going on for friendly matches in the current climate back back in Europe because, um, you know, everywhere else is in lockdown. The players are traveling. I know if the games have got to be done for the for the Nations League and qualification, but John just said for friendlies, what is the bloody point, man? When you're putting players and families at risk of, of doing this and the club managers, uh, I just think it's ludicrous. When someone contracts COVID it, it, uh, and a player, it just doesn't seem surprising anymore. No. You know, Suarez now, uh, yeah. so he's, he's unable to play against Barcelona or, or this morning they're playing uh, Brazil for, in a qualification for South America. And and you just say, you just think, you know, when when is it that going to end? Yeah. And uh, and how are they just allowing all these games to go ahead when people are dropping? But uh, look, I can understand the money side, Bridgie. I know, John, but we're, we're, friendly no medical, game. we're no medical experts, right? We still don't, even the top end medical researchers and people in the world don't know the long-term effect of COVID. Yeah, you can't be. It, it's it's almost become too trivial. Salah's out with COVID. Kolarov's out yeah. with COVID. It's it's more serious than that. And you know what? The injury side of it that has been part of football forever and a day. The current workload is outrageous. Yeah. But you know what? That is part of it. But now it's but, actually tinkering with the actual um, integrity of competitions across the planet yeah. because players are having to sit out here, the front center because they're traveling to Egypt, they're traveling to South America, they're traveling all across the planet. It just seems well, like I mean, it's an incredible Dave, burden on the players. Look at what's just happened in the A-League with them going over for the Asian Champions League Qatar, the amount of protocols that they've had to do, the amount of money that has had to have been spent. And they're leaving the country and then they're going to come back into the country, quarantine. Mm. You know, they're, they're going to a country that's getting three, 400 cases a day in Qatar. But yet, the, you know, I know the PFA probably had something to, to say about that and go over there and you're coming back to Australia. We don't want the COVID coming back. So isolation... Uh, uh, yeah, I, ju- I just don't know what the what the answer is, mate. But um, going back to the international football and the managers, I really feel for club managers at this moment in time. Yeah, there's a fair bit to balance and a fair bit to take out of it. Um, before we move on uh, away from that, I just want to ask you about England, Bridgie, because um, we, we didn't touch on them before. They're obviously going to play tomorrow. You talked up Drak Grealish last week and he has gone on to be man of the match again. Um, it's been a year since Southgate has had his full quartet of Rashford, Kane, Sancho and Sterling available to him. So it was Mount and um, Grealish flanking Kane in the loss to Belgium. What did you make of that? And what what have you made of, of England overall? They just looked just that little bit off Belgium's quality in that game. Yeah, they did. They, they, I still don't think that the English media and and myself included, I don't like the, the back three or the back five as such. And I don't think it really played into England's hands against them. When you've got so much attacking power, playing with two defensive midfielders, you've got three defenders, you know, Rice was in there, Henderson was, it was in there. Trippier, fantastic, had to come in for Trent Alexander-Arnold, but he got injured. They, they, I just don't think they had, it didn't look like they had the balance correct. Um, and when you've got so many attacking players that are doing so well around Europe, I'd like to see Gareth Southwick go and let them exploit, go and express themselves. And there was crying out to say, we don't need to play with that extra safety unit at the back. Um, and Walker gave them the, the pace on the right-hand side, but he, he's not great on the ball at playing out. Dyer hasn't got that pace. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of Mings and yeah, it's, it's just a tough one. I, I just don't like the system that uh, that has been played under Southgate, but I was delighted for Grealish because finally Southgate gave in to the pressure 
of the performances he's been putting in. He gave it the pressure of fans that want to see him. And the way I put it, Jack Grealish is a player. I remember watching Chris Waddley was my hero and people like Paul Gascoigne. There was nothing better than being in the stadium in the old seats. You know, when the seats flip up and you hear the yeah, noise of the yeah. seats clank, every time a Waddle or a Gaza got the ball, you heard the seats go up around the stadium. And that was because you knew there was a great player on the ball. Jack Grealish, I'm even watching Jack Grealish sitting in my lounge and I stand up to watch him when he gets the ball because you don't know what he's going to go and do. That's an exciting player and that excites me for the future of English football as when, he, when he's allowed to express him. But Gareth Southgate's still got that little, he wants to hold the reins on people. He's still scared to go and let them express themselves. And there's no way England could beat a team 6-0 um, in the manner that Spain did because we haven't got that forward thinking process yet. So is he the man for the job to take uh, England forward, Bridgie? In my opinion, no, no, he was early. He had a really good chance. I like what he, I like what Southgate was doing when they had that world, the World Cup. But we were very lucky to get the semi-finals. Yeah. Everybody got carried away. It's coming home. It's coming home. England won it off penalties and set plays. And he was brilliant that he went and had a look at the NBA. But I, st I still never liked the, um, I mean, all the set plays that we scored. There was free kicks, corners, penalties. There was nothing really exciting from open play, John. And it's, he still hasn't shown that for me with the players that he has at his disposal. Because it's a very exciting time for English football with the youth that we have coming yeah, through. I agree. I, I, I can't sit a wall. I haven't seen this many players coming through in English football for a long time. And, and yeah. talented and exciting yeah. players. Because you, you talk about Jack Grealish and you talk about the players that uh, that weren't there. Sterling and you got Mason Greenwood. And, mm -hmm. you know, they, they weren't uh, starting in this game. And uh, Sancho, that was, uh, uh, he came on the last 15, 20 minutes. You know, the, the exciting players they got yeah. going forward is, um, and it's not so, only England, it's around Europe, but I just don't see. I'm not excited to watch England. No, not at all. So, so when you're going up against a Belgium and you're a Southgate and you're in England, and you're going up against Belgium, we've gone, you know, defensively. Let's try and nick this. Let's keep a clean sheet. Got beat two nil, and there was nothing exciting going the other way. They couldn't keep that clean sheet dynamics. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's just not entertaining to watch. But it's not. It it's still. You can foresee that if you're getting results from playing negative football, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm accepting Mourinho at Tottenham at this moment in time because he's grinding results out, which Tottenham wouldn't have won under Pochettino against the teams like West Brom and Burnley. Southgate hasn't achieved that for me. Well, sometimes you do need to grind out results. Uh, but the thing about Tottenham this year, and, I, and I'm sure we'll get onto that a little bit, is that they're also been games that they played some fantastic mm. football. I, I think yes. that Mourinho's finding the right balance um, and he, because at the beginning of the season, they were scoring a lot of goals and not keeping clean sheets. Now they're probably keeping more clean sheets, but not really uh, playing that attractive football they were at the beginning of the season. But um, he's found the right formula with Kane, Son. Whereas I, I looked at Kane with the England national team mm. and he just doesn't look... I don't know, like the same player. He yeah. looks completely different when he plays with Tottenham and when he plays with the national team. The only question is, Bridgie, is there another English manager that can actually That's take the I national know. team? Yeah. Why, does it, why does it have to be an English manager? Or no, what type of manager? A Pochettino? Why not? Well, you're, you're the English uh, person in, in this. I, I, John, I totally agree <laughs> yeah. with you. I don't yeah. think there, if there is any... Uh, that I can't, I couldn't give you an English manager at this moment in time. I would love to see in charge of the national team apart from Southgate. But I'm saying if if England want to kick on and go to that next level, I think we've got to look at other options or, um, from another national team or uh, not another national team, but another player, uh, manager. It doesn't have to be an English manager to be the, the head coach of your national team. Yeah, your local be available. Oh, listen, Dave, wash you your mouth a out. German coaching the English. That's national the team? no, no chance. 
That's poison. So in conclusion, you, you basically, you're saying that you England need a manager, a bit like even Jose for all his foibles in those games where they've scratched it out, Son, Kane, Bale, in three consecutive games of hit match winners. You know you've got them ready to go. England need a manager who's prepared to almost unleash Sterling, Kane and Sancho up front with Grealish in midfield and find the way to get the balance for them to to, to be defensively solid, I think but the- free to express themselves and, and, and attack. Key word you've just used there is the balance. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Interesting. Interesting. Interesting chat, guys. Interesting, interesting chat. Um, Throwing back to some of our old segments, I've brought a few back for old time's sake here today on the gang and bottom he said what i'm not going to try uh imitate that uh that intro we used to have for it when we're back in the back in the <laughs> studio but i'm just going to go to a comment by paul pogba and uh he's talking about going back to france after playing for manchester united where um it's a situation i'd never experienced in my career before he said where i usually always play and play and have that rhythm suddenly that changes little by little i get my sensation back i'm finding myself again this is what I have to do all the time to be consistent. The national team is like a window being opened, a breath of fresh air. So a few little things to talk about here. Um, and I don't want to go down the Pogba witch hunt again. We've talked about that for months and months and months. To start with, John, I just want to ask about that dynamic of turning up to your national team and that camaraderie here. He talks about, he goes on to talk about Antoine Griezmann and Rafael Varane and how they, they enjoy reuniting every time they do what's that experience like when you come from club land whether you're in a good mood or a bad mood and you're not with the national team and you have that kind of lift yeah it, it, you know what the, nothing can replicate the national team setup because you, the, a lot of the boys you've grown up with uh, and played you know football with as juniors and and you've got memories and and you also got the same culture upbringing um, you know, living in, in Australia or, or from Australia. And you've got the same stories of what you're going through at club level as well. So I can understand that he feels more comfortable going to the national team setup. Plus the way that uh, Didier Deschamps actually set up his team, it, it suits Paul Pogba. So um, I hear what he's saying and, and you can just see that he's, he's getting frustrated with not being able to perform at the level that he knows he can for Man United. But uh, the dynamic with, with club is completely different with, with the country um, because of the amount of players that, you, you know, he, he's one of many foreigners at, uh, at Man United. And, you know, it, it's a different team dynamic compared to your, uh, your country. What do you make of it, Bridgie, those comments? Um, what, uh, a similar situation to Olivier Giroud. I mean, he was he scored a brilliant goal again this morning. He, yeah. he's, I think he's played 33 minutes in the Premier League for Chelsea and he goes over to France and does fabulously well. Deschamps said, you know, he has to probably move in January to to guarantee his spot at yeah. the Euros. Um, what did you make of Pogba's comments and, and, and the way these players actually go into France and, and exceeding their club form? Well, if you go on Pogba's performance today and this morning when he made the mistake inside the area, that cost them cost them one of the goals. You can see he's, he's talking fluff again. But um, <laughs> it's got to be frustrating because he's he's been in a team at Manchester United. You know, they're, they're classed as one of the biggest clubs in the world. 
There's, you know, they're not they're not playing like that, but they still are on a on a media scale and on a social. And that was one of the reasons Pogba came in because of his media following. It's all about shirt sales, and he's not a player that would be the first name on the team sheet. Now, when you spend that much money on a player, you'd like to think that that would be I call them game changers. He's not one of them. So I think he's found it very very frustrating the amount of pressure that he's, has been put on him, all the media. I don't know, honestly, how he deals with it. Um, I wouldn't. I'd be an absolute mental wreck. Um, people forget about the mental side of the game, and that impacts you. So I think, for me, when he's going away at the national team, there's other big fish in that that industry. The media spotlight is just not focused on Paul Pogba. I think he finds that more refreshing to get away from the horrible industry of the English media that really, once they, once they get a, a hate campaign against you, it's very hard to get rid of that tag uh, and I think he really he's really struggled with that and I, that's why he's come out and said he's fresh and I, I do think he plays better with the national team um, because he's got a little bit more freedom and away from the limelight Dave so I, I feel for Pogba I've, I've given him stick in the past because he, he's come out and said certain things his attitude hasn't looked good but man the mental health side of it that he has had to endure while at Manchester United I, I couldn't do what he does so I've got to acknowledge that I think there has to come a point too that they have to cut ties because you know yeah. you look at some some players just don't uh, fit into a club. There's some players that, that they they try they just don't settle. You know we talked about Murata earlier. You know he struggled uh, when he was at Real Madrid or Atletico Madrid, but he's performed well now. This second stint at Juventus, mm-hmm. so both times he feels comfortable uh, in his environment. And I think the same would happen with Paul Pogba if he went back to Juventus. You'll see the best of Paul Pogba again or maybe in Spain. But um, I just think that the, the Premier League, there's, you're right, there's that witch hunt against him. Mm. And it's hard to get rid of that. You know, even if you play two or three good games, as soon as you make what, that one mistake, they'll look at Paul Pogba and they'll start blaming him. So See, maybe... I never, I never had the same as you, John. Obviously, you used to go away for your international games at Clubland. I played international football for my 17s, 18s, 19s and 21s and never made it to the... Never got the national team cap. And... When I, when I was going away for the international duty with the 21s from the club with Danny Mills, Alan Smiths, Lee Boyers, Paul Robinson, we had an unbelievable, there was five players represented the 21s from, from Leeds United at the 21s. It was great to go away together, like John says, you've, you know, you've, you've shared, you get to see some of the old players in the past. What I noticed at Leeds United when I'd gone over that 21 barrier and other players were going away for international duty. When we were doing very well at Leeds United and we were challenging for the title, we're having a Champions League run, the players used to not enjoy going away at the international camps as much. It became a bit of a hindrance and a burden yeah. for them. And they were look, managers were looking for excuses not to send their players. But I'll tell you what, as soon as we started struggling at Leeds United and we were going down and down through manager after manager, the players couldn't wait to get away just for a fresh environment. So it's very, you've got to be careful what you wish for. You know, I saw a whole different attitude to some of the players wanting to go to international duty that were kind of saying, oh, you know, it's, I can't be, it's, 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 it, we're going away for a friendly game to represent the country. They didn't enjoy doing that. But when you, when the shit hits the fan and you're having a rough time, I'll tell you what, they were looking for them tickets to get off ASAP. Well, the same is happening with, uh, with France at the moment with Griezmann uh, mm. not having a great time at Barcelona, Pogba at Man United, Giroud. Giroud. Yeah. So yeah, I can I can hear what you're saying. Yeah. And it does. It feels like a breath of, breath of fresh air, really, when you go away from an environment that you're struggling yeah. and, and there's all that uh, pressure that you need results. 
to an environment that you go, okay, we can sort of relax and play our yeah. football now. And it used to kill me, John, as well, when I heard when the lads are getting their letters saying they're involved in the England squad and you'd see them opening them up in the dressing room at Leeds United going, oh, God, we've got to get the international. I'm thinking, Is that right? I'm thinking, you souls, man. I, I, what I would give just to get that call up to, to that national level. Uh, it became, a, you know, it's borderline a little bit of um, arrogance and, you know, when it becomes all lackadaisical thinking you're too big for your boots, it, it didn't sit well with me. But I'm not going to name names, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah, that, that, that's really interesting. I'll tell you what. Um, what about if they were going to uh, uh, Gambia? Was it Gambia? <laughs> it was Gambia. Yeah, yeah Gambia. Was. What if you yeah. were in the Gabon team going to Gambia and your pair, Emmerich Aubameyang, leaving the luxuries of the Emirates to be stuck in the airport? <laughs> Well, he got brought back down day. to earth pretty quickly, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> we digressed. He is a good yarn when we're talking about national team. You have no idea what I'm talking about. Um, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang was on social media uh, two days ago when his Gabon team was – they had to sleep in the airport before the African Cup of Nations qualifier clash. Um, now, the issue is actually that they didn't do the uh, adequate COVID protocol, so they weren't allowed in into the city, which is actually fair enough when you when you look at it. But it just shows the uh, the, the less glamorous side of international football. They went on to lose 2-1. Uh, if you see the goalkeeping howler that was in that game, you can well, tell they weren't sleeping because it was an absolute Well, the goalkeeper mistake. definitely didn't sleep. <laughs> <laughs> it, was it was a complete atrocious. air swing. That is on the Optisport social channels and app if you want to have a, a, have a good laugh and make yourself feel a little bit better about your park football exploits. They are t- they're still the two dominant teams in the Group D ahead of Congo and Angola. They are looking to make the tournament in Cameroon in 2022. But I want to know from you guys, did that bring back any memories of some odd or excruciating road trips or international travel? Because uh, you both would have seen a few different airports and different um, commutes in your time. Yeah, I remember uh, one, especially, I think I was with the under-20 national team and we were traveling in South America and we got caught in the, in the airport for, I think it was around 12 hours. Um, and so that, that was uncomfortable. And yeah, and that was normal. I wouldn't say normal, but you know, when you're traveling with the, the young soccerers, that you know, they're not spending uh, huge amounts of money on us, and uh, and sometimes in South America, it doesn't run that smooth. So we, we, you know, we had a few of those hiccups. But when I did make the national team early on in my career, and and it still wasn't at that professional level yet, I remember turning up to the airport and my ticket wasn't there, and I was like. Am I selected? What do I do here? <laughs> I ended up paying for it myself. What's the travel? Yeah, yeah. It was a couple of thousand dollars that I had to pay. And I was like, um, I just need to make sure I get there because if I don't turn up, I'm probably never pay for the national team again. So I turned up uh, and was in the camp and played and, and whatever else. And I did get reimbursed. But it was... It wasn't great that I had to pay for my own ticket. That is tremendous. John, nothing surprises me, actually, with the, the Federation because the the anniversary um, last week, they forgot about Mark Swartzer. They didn't yeah. even give him any acknowledgements <laughs> for his two, his two saves. He wasn't even mentioned in the team. I Look, I, confession, I told them, leave Swartzy out. We hear about it all the time. Don't put a photo of Swartzy. Nah, I, I thought that was uh, pretty poor. I thought that Swartzy should have been front and centre with those two saves. Outstanding. Well, the only one that I can't beat that um, with the travel arrangements, but the, there was an interesting time I had at Newcastle United under Bobby Robson. We were playing um, Marseille away. So we went to the local airport, Newcastle Airport, and there was a bit of a delay on the flight. There was It was about two hours. But w- the reason it was delayed as well was because we were actually filming the movie Goal, if you remember. 
Yeah, yeah. So they travelled with us to to come in with. We're trying to sort out who was what actors were going to sit where, and and all this kind of stuff. And I was only interested in one guy, and it was a guy called Stuart Townsend at the time. And he was one of the actors. He didn't actually make the movie because all the footage that they'd actually taken, they ended up scrapping. But he was engaged to Charlie's the wrong. So I was just hanging around <laughs> with him, like you know, I was like, mate, what's she like? And he's like, mate, you're, it's a little bit uncomfortable. This. So we're at the airport trying to sort all this out. Anyway, what had happened? John Carver, the assistant manager, and Craig Bellamy started having a massive argument um, inside this private room that we were at waiting to get on the flight. And one thing escalated to the next, and they were both having a punch on and a fight in the room. <laughs> Bobby Robson couldn't get in. So what had happened? A lot of the lads in the club knew that Craig Bellamy needed a good hiding because he was a, a bit of, we call him a gobshite. And John Carver, with the assistant manager, had upset a few of the players as well. So half the nobody wanted to really jump in and stop what was going on because everybody was wanting just to see a few punches land so they could, you know, because they deserved it. And then the door started to go. And it was Bobby Robson. And I'll never forget, Stephen Harper grabbed the door. And all you could hear was Bobby, what's going on? What's going on in there? Let me in. And he's holding the door saying, come on, we'll get one more punch away. <laughs> and um, it was just unbelievable to see the assistant manager rolling around the floor with Craig Bellamy. And um, it was, it, thankfully, the cameras weren't rolling at that time. But the it was funny that the actors were like, shit, is this really what goes on behind the scenes? And when you just travel, we're like, not really, no. So, Pre-social media. Pre-social media too. Mental. Huh? Mental. The Gig and Pod will be back in 20 seconds. Once you're done with this episode, though, take a moment to look up Two Sharp Reds. Socceroos great Mark Schwarzer is joined by Ollie Geel to talk about the lighter side of world football with a real focus on the day-to-day of the Premier League. Two Sharp Reds from Optus Sport, available where you get your podcasts. Now, back to The Gig and Pod. Newcastle United kick off the Premier League this weekend and uh, what a what a huge weekend we've got. Uh, we kick it off at 11.30pm uh, Australian Eastern Daylight Time with Chelsea travelling to Newcastle. Of course, that is after countdown kickoff. We'll see both of you boys on that from 10pm, of course. Newcastle against Chelsea into Aston Villa hosting Brighton. And then let's go to Tottenham, Manchester City, shall we? 4.30am. I'm excited about a couple of games this weekend and this is the first one. Because this is not only a test, John, of uh, second place Spurs' bona fides, but also Manchester City. We, and, and I do quickly add as a bracket, we go back to what we said about managers before. They're going to have about five minutes with their sides to prepare for these games. But still, it is a huge examination for both. Well, they'll be praying both managers that they're going to have a, a fully, well, they won't have a fully fit squad, but uh, that no major injury concerns uh, from the last few games of the national team. But uh, this is a massive game. And I think it's probably, well, it's big for both because Spurs to see where they're at, because before Christmas, they've got City, they've got Chelsea away, Arsenal at home, Liverpool away, Leicester at home. So you will really see, Bridgie, where your team is at after just before Christmas time. And with Man City, they can't afford to drop too many more points. No. So, you know, if Man City don't get a result, and I mean three points against Tottenham, Bridgie called it already last week that they're done and dusted. They can't win the Premier League. Well, if they don't win this week, you probably can say that it's going to be impossible for them because a lot of points to catch up. So huge game. And but it's going to be an exciting game because I, I like both teams the way they're set up. Both managers have got a lot of history. Um, mm. Yeah, the rivalry is probably not as bad as what it was when it was Barcelona Real Madrid, but there's still going to be that that rivalry there. I think. 
Well, there was a huge turning point last season. Spurs won this exact fixture 2-0 last season, and that ended a run when they hadn't beat City for six matches. There was two draws, four losses, and it was... So this is um, going into this season. Obviously, Tottenham have got the edge. They've got the edge, I think, with, with Mourinho being in there as well, because he, he, he's, he's found a way to nullify teams like this. So I, I'm really looking forward to this game. And I, uh, John's answered my question. I was going to say, if Spurs can get a result here, they are title contenders. And if City don't get the result and Spurs do win, they're, they're, they're gone. And I'll, I'll still say that I think Manchester City um, are not going to be um, competing this season with what, what has gone on because the amount of players that are travelling as well with the internationals that they're going to have, they've got the Champions League. Um, I think it's going to, going to hurt them and affect them massively because of the, the injuries and the inconsistency that they have had at the back as well. It's interesting. Talk about what we just did about international football and momentum. Actually, they get Ferran Torres back off. The hat trick, they get Ruben Diaz back off Two a goals. brace, yeah. which is, I guess, a, a, not the tonic you expect from a defender, but it's still a nice tonic to have. Rodri scored as well. Um, but you spoke about Pep V. Jose, um, um, John. Do you think, which which side of Spurs do you think Jose will show today? Will it be the snatch and grab? Is he going to look to to almost uh, give the classic the classic Jose treatment to Pep or will see a little something a little bit more sophisticated? No, I don't think they can just change up like that, Spurs, because, you know, this season so far, if you look at most of their games, they've been the team with the most possession. Um, the players that they've got, they they like to keep the ball and and, uh, and with the attacking, you know, players they have, they, that's what they've been doing. Of course, Man City is a different proposition because Pep will want the ball as much as possible, but um, I don't think they're going to be that, that snatch and grab. I, I think Spurs will still come out and play um i think it's going to be an exciting game an open game you know unlike Mourinho's of the past i think this yeah. will be an open game with goals in uh, definitely in this game spurs have got a better understanding of when to go for that counter-attack and when to go for that attacking moment mm. rather than mm. when a pochettino you, the systems was there that was everything when they got the ball it was like right how quickly can we get into that final third how fast can we get there uh, Mourinho, when he first came in it was direct all the time like John says, they've just learned to understand to keep the ball and then that trigger the moment when they can go and exploit a team. Um, and I also think, uh, I, I keep going back to it, Tottenham last se- with fans inside the stadium or the away fans would not have got that late result against um, West Bromwich Albion or, or Burnley the week before it was. Both, yeah, yeah. They would have been asking questions. They still stuck to it. They still kept playing and there was not that kind of fear factor from the fans giving it to them. They're stuck by their game plan instead of rushing it. And they, they, got the, they got the wins in the end. So Spurs contenders or City done? What's the result? Oh, oh this gosh. one, uh, I, I'm going to do a bridgey. I'm going to sit on the fence of this one. What do you mean do a bridgey? That's an ultimate John Aloisi. That is, that is, that's going to go on your blooming gravestone. Not that I wish, not I'm wishing you dead, mate. Sorry. <laughs> No, you know what? Uh, I, I might cause a little bit of an upset. I'm going to go with Spurs. I know it's not really an upset when you mm. go on form, but it's an upset when you go on pre, um, you know, the, the pre comp, you know, predictions yeah. of who will be up there, title contenders, and uh, and I just like the way that uh, Spurs are going about their football. I I, I think that uh, he's got the balance right with his signings as well, mm. and um, I, I think they could cause an upset over Man City. I'm going to sit on the fence here, John. (laughs) 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 Until I see the team sheets, because a lot of travel with all them international players, like you say, if there's got to be the players in there, England have still got a game against Iceland. Who's he going to play? I'm hoping that he just wraps all the Spurs players in cotton wool. And I'm sure that um, Mourinho would be doing all he can. Who from Tottenham could play in that game? Um, Kane. 
Dyer. They're, they're the only two. Winks, Winksy. Yeah, but Winksy will. I don't think Winksy will start with Spurs. I think if he no, goes no, to no. But I'm just 11, saying, like, I'd rather yeah. just see because you yeah. don't know. You know, a lot of the other players have been. I away think. I think the big one is well. Kane. I think the big one is Kane. Yeah, yeah without it, a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, if uh, because the Tottenham definitely need Kane. Um, John Harry then, Kane's been involved in 23 goals this season. You know, in the 14 games, you got 13 goals and 10 assists in all the matches, mate. Like, if you yeah. take him out of the, you take him out of it, Spurs don't have the same dynamics because well, he's been helping last, out. Last week, even though it was my uh, week off and uh, we didn't have any football, I did a, a little bit of a, a special on the front three of Spurs and what Ooh. Kane and the movement that, uh, that that Mourinho has been able to actually put together for them and and how the formula works and why Kane's been able to score so many goals and set up so many goals. So Where do I get it, to watch that, John? Because that it, sounds it, it, very exciting. Yeah, it should be on the Optus app in the next couple of days, will, but I'm pretty sure it's Saturday indeed. night. Yeah, I'm yeah. putting a marker indeed. down for that one. There you go. It will be. So there's a feel about time. I tell you what, if Harry Kane gets arrested, then Carlo Ancelotti's sweating because Dominic Calvert-Lewin will probably be in the firing line. And uh, Everton uh, play Fulham. They go to Fulham on Sunday night. Before that, I should add, Manchester United host West Brom at 7 a.m. on Sunday morning. Australian Eastern Daylight Time. I don't, want, I don't even want to think of the hysteria around Solskjaer if United do not get three points in that game. Monday morning, the early hours, Sheffield United host West Ham. Leeds United against Arsenal, 3.30am. Oh. Thrill a minute there, potentially. I tell you what, what a game that is as well, by the way. I mean, Arsenal sitting in 11th and Leeds down in 15th with 10 points. You know, after the start that they have had to get smashed 4-1 against Crystal Palace, to get mm. beat 4-1 um, the previous week against Leicester. I could see the Leicester result, but the, the Crystal Palace one was a big surprise. There's two two main factors I put that down to. Calvin Phillips hasn't been there, giving mm-hmm. them that defensive security, um, because what he does, he gives them the balance between attack and defence when there's the transition moments. He doesn't go and join in. He'll sit back with the two centre halves, and the the you know the the he he everything seems to go through him when they've got the ball. He has been a major loss, and you know it's a dangerous game when you send numbers forward. So Leicester was always going to be a problem. I still uh, think Robin Cock hasn't really. He hasn't he's, fitted in well. He hasn't fitted no, in. I think he he's struggled. It's it's a pity that Llorente is uh, been injured. The, it's uh, been the, injuries, John. Yeah, you've you've so, had Cooper coming out the centre half. Cox come in too early. Yeah, yeah. Um, it. I think that's the thing that you found with Bielsa. His, his style is fantastic. I love watching them. They've got a, They've got the numbers on the board early doors. The issue was always going to be, is that squad big enough and do they have the catalyst to fill in for the numbers of the players that understand how Bielsa wants? It's all about the injuries and the, the training demands that Bielsa, as we all know, expects off the players. Can you last a Premier League season given that performance as week in, week out? It's going to take its toll. The question I've got for you, Bridgie, when does Arteta start to get questioned mm. about what's happening at Arsenal? Uh, oh, I mean, listen, what, one goal in four games? Yeah. I think with it's that, started, with hasn't that it? attacking prowess, uh, that that's one thing. When I look at their their front players, Aubameyang, Lacazette, Pepe, um, is it Mar- is Martinelli still there? By the way, the youngster. Yes, he's been injured though. Has he been you injured? Got Saka, yeah. you got Saka, uh, William. It's unbelievable. So you remember the Charity Shield game against Liverpool? They scored the goal from back to front. The first game of the Premier League, it was against Fulham. They scored that goal from goalkeeper to front. They were making it look effortless. They've, they have ran out of ideas, Susie. And again, it comes back to all this stuff that was going on. Pepe having a go at Arteta. You've got Ozil sitting there. Is it Arteta's choice? Is it the club's choice for what he has said about certain things in the past? Uh, Bum Young uh, hasn't been the same since he signed his no, new contract. not at all. Uh, he's, he's almost sat on his laurels uh, and thinking, what, Cork? Can I buy next week rather than how many goals can I score?
Yeah, so it's a uh, look. I think it's an interesting period for Arteta. I think that uh, it happens to all managers. He needs to get through this period and and hopefully turn it around. But it's uh, a difficult game in Leeds. Who who do you think would be more looking forward to this game, John? I I actually think Leeds will look forward to this game a bit more. Mm. I think that Leeds, you know, they, they want to. The, the last three games they've uh, lost two, and it's been, you know, defensively they've been poor in terms of conceding a lot of the goals. But um, I, I think Leeds will look at Arsenal and and see that they're low on confidence. Yeah. They're not really creating chances to score goals because it's not even like they scored one goal in four. They don't create a lot of opportunities. Yeah. Mm. Um, so that- it's. I think Leeds would look forward to this. I've got one. some stats just on Aubameyang for you, Bridgie. Um, in terms of someone, you, you know, you'd, you'd rate him in the top few strikers in the Premier League, but in terms of shots, he's forty eighth. Shots on target, twentieth. Touches in the opposition box, thirty fourth. Yeah. And uh, goals and assists, twenty seventh and thirty fifth. Yeah. So it's not one you want. Off a he's rich not in the goal scoring positions. He, he's no. drifting. He's drifting deeper and deeper. And what happens as a striker? Uh, he's been playing left side, obviously, a bit more. What happens when you don't see a lot of the ball? You want to, you come deeper, you come deeper. You just want to get touches on the ball. And the defenders are going, I want to see Aubameyang dropping that midfield yeah. position because I don't want to see him running in behind. Uh, and the other thing I will say is it is massively in favour of Leeds is when also were doing all right last season of the Arteta that came back, they played them in the FA Cup. Leeds absolutely destroyed Arsenal in the FA Cup match. Arsenal got a, a, a winner. They got through the tie. But I'll tell you what, it was all Leeds United. And that was a massive, I think... A set a massive presence for Leeds' campaign going forward, where a lot of the Premier League clubs and managers would have watched that and gone, oh, this team are good, they're coming up this season. Um, so if they can have that same kind of mindset going in against a, a, an Arsenal that are under morale, this could be a great one for Bielsa and the boys to bounce back. Mm, yep. Can Arteta find that balance between you know the, the formation he's trying to set out and get them to actually play some attacking football? That's the question we're going to see over the coming weeks. But I tell you what, good luck going to work for anyone on Monday morning because straight after that game is Liverpool against Leicester. <laughs> wow, what a moment for Leicester. Two teams, injury ravaged. John, who who's going to cope with it better? It's, is it is it about that now? But in this contest, with two teams that are just absolutely injury ravaged, but performing still week in week out. Yeah, I think it is about that. I think it's uh, who can cope better with the with the injuries. But this is where you know another uh, Klopp's been around a long time, but I doubt it that he's ever witnessed this before. So many injuries to his main players. You know, his back four. Yeah. hasn't got a back for yeah. um, so it, it'll be interesting to see how they cope with it um, and how uh, if, if Vardy is playing how that they cope with Vardy because you know with the players that they're going to have coming in they would never have played against the type of player like Vardy um, and, and Leicester you know in, in good form confident it doesn't matter who they're playing Liverpool still being able to get results through this period but how long is that going to last for with all these injuries and setbacks and you know, I still think they were very good against Man City. It was a great game. I thought it was a, a tremendous game. Um, I thought both teams actually played their part in that one. Um, but uh, I still think Liverpool will have enough to beat Leicester at home. Yeah. And I, I agree with John. Liverpool have unbeaten in the last nine home games against Leicester. They've won seven. They've drawn two. I just think that they, they know too much. It's at, it's at home. Yes, there's no fans, but it's still got that aura about it. 
it, it is Anfield, and I, I just think that they they'll go out there and, and get the result. They haven't got Salah, but Jota will come. You know, Jota's been flying. Um, it's the it's the defensive worries, um, and it's a it's a huge opportunity for Leicester to capitalise. But I just I just can't see it. And Rogers is dying to get a result against his old team mm. at Anfield, and he's still waiting for that moment since he left. So it's it's going to be a very very good game. But I'm going with all the Liverpool supporters out there. I'll be cheering the Reds on for this one. Can't wait to see it. Fascinating. Who knows how many players will go down before then and now. That's the problem, yeah. but we'll see. We'll see. It's a top-of-the-table clash and uh, 6.15 a.m. Monday morning. Brilliant stuff. The round ends off with Burnley hosting Crystal Palace on Tuesday and Wolves against Southampton. That's a really fascinating contrast in style. 7 a.m. Tuesday morning. But before we end off, I actually want to just turn our attention a little bit to Europe. Obviously, next week's huge for us on Sport with the Champions League, but on a different tone. I don't want to talk about Barcelona in eighth, John, or Real Madrid in fourth, Atletico Madrid in third, Una Emery's Villarreal in second, but Real Sociedad leading La Liga by two clear points heading into the return after the international break after nine games with David Silva pulling the strings, top of the table in a different competition while his old side are languishing. Tell us about what you, how Real Sociedad uh, have turned La Liga on its head. Yeah, well, they did well last season. Uh, they they were up there competing last season for a long period. Um, they've got a really good manager. He's he's from the club. He's uh, he's been at the club for a long period. First as a junior coach, and then he's worked his way through. They've got some great players. Um, you know, especially Oyarzabal, who who scored this morning for the Spanish national team. Um, and then David Silva just gives him probably that little bit more belief because he's been there, done that. He's won titles. He's played in, in, in the best teams in the world. He's won, uh, you know, national team titles. So I think that um, it, it, it's not surprising. The thing that's surprising is that you expect Real Madrid and Barcelona to be up there. But it's not surprising to see Real Sociedad do so well, um, a bus club with a great history. A couple of familiar faces, Nacho Monreal, Adnan Januzaj, who we remember from Manchester United. This is what what is we know that we're talking about the Premier League being open. Is La Liga equally open? Will the two powerhouses come to the fore, or is it an opportunity for an Emery or a Simeone? How do you see this unique scenario playing out over the long haul? Yeah, I think it's very open. I think that this is another opportunity for Atletico Madrid to win another title um, because we, we, we're still unsure what Barcelona are going to give you uh, week in, week out. You know, On their day, they'll smash a team and then the next week they'll struggle and, and drop points. Real Madrid are going to have issues, especially now with uh, Varane and, and Sergio Ramos. Out. And they've got uh, Villarreal this weekend, eh? Yeah, Villarreal under Emery have, have come good. Uh, you know, there, there's a few teams there that I, I think this is probably like the Premier League, the most open La Liga uh, race for a long period since the days of Deportivo La Coruña and Valencia challenging the the, the big two. And uh, I think that this year, you know, we'll, Sevilla still will be there um, as well. So there's about six teams that you think could really challenge. And if there's going to be a season that Real Madrid or Barcelona don't win it, it's this season. Do you think? Pep Guardiola watching David Silva will be going, oh, he was only 34. Could I have kept him for one more year? Oh, I think he would be thinking that because that's where the, um, Man City have struggled, haven't they? Uh, not so much in the Champions League, but more in the in the Premier League when teams sit off and trying to break them down. And David Silva, the, the, the magician, um, it was always able to open up a team uh, you know, given any any moment, either with a, a final pass or, or, or scoring a goal, free kicks, he was superb at as well. So, 
Yeah, it's probably one, you know, one that he lost, but he he's, he probably thought he had Foden uh, that, you know, could just step into his place. And he has replaced, you know, he's got Ferran Torres that uh, has shown good form, but they have lacked goals in the Premier League. And David Silva was a big part of their attacking force. So Xabi Alonso is also involved in the club as well. So it, it's, it's, it's nice to see a club that has stuck to its roots and stuck to its uh, local territory do well with not too many huge signings. So we'll watch that space really, really carefully going forward. We'll just end off just quickly, just doing a quick whistle-stop tour of Europe because it's really exciting. What Milan and Sassuolo, top of Serie A, Rangers doing well in Scotland. Um, Bridgie, what's caught your eye that, that you're sort of looking at around the traps where I guess 2020, 2021 is just turned on its head absolutely everywhere? There's only one man and he ceases to amaze me in everything that he does ever since he kicked the ball and that is Latan Ibrahimovic. Uh, you know, leading goal scorer, eight goals in Serie A, and I just, I, I find it unbelievable. I don't know how he does it or what he does. He, if he could bottle that up, he would be a millionaire, but he already is a millionaire, so he'd be a multi-millionaire. He's, it's just great, and that, you know, it gives people that have played the game. Uh, I admire him so much. I had a lot of injuries. I didn't look after myself as much as I should have done. I didn't have that kind of education um, and, uh, you know, with your eating habits and how you should look after yourself off the field back in the day. You know, th- this man, he is flexible. He looks after himself. He scores goals. And it's, he's just an inspiration to, to everybody. And know that he's gone back to a club where he has got past history and he's mm-hmm. adored. Um, I just think it's a, it's a great um, story. So we're seeing both sides of it now, especially in the last season or two that you've got Zlatan, who's at a certain age, um, also Ronaldo, who's getting on, but they don't show any signs of slowing up. And then you've got the other side with so many teenagers coming through and playing a big part in European football. This is the first time I've seen something like this. In Italy, they've always been players that have played until they're 38 to to 40 and and whatever else. But... um, very few young players at that age would come through. Whereas now, I look at the you know the U.S. national team. I look at uh, the Spanish national team, the England um, teenagers coming through and and actually causing a big stir in European football. It's been exciting. To end off, do you guys have a favourite team that that you, you just always want to see where they're playing or who they're playing for at, at the moment? Um, Ansu Fati is the, the one that I think really stands out. Uh, there's there's a lot that stand out. Uh, sorry, did I steal yours, Bridgie? Yeah, you stole me thunder. I love watching him. Yeah, young, he's, young, he's, what, 17, 18? Yeah, he's just turned 18, but he's yeah. been around already for over yeah. a season and a bit. Yeah. Um, the only issue that he has at the moment, he's going to be out for four months with a, a knee yeah. injury. Yeah. Um, so that's disappointing for him. But there's so many good young players coming through. But he's probably the big standout. The other one I like is obviously with with England is um, uh, Bellingham. Yeah. Jude Bellingham. Um, to to see, a pl- what what I really like now is that there is there is teams around Europe that are actually happy and very much willing to take on an English player. Uh, if you if you go back and have a look. Um, through history, there is you know Sancho's gone to Dortmund, um, and they're they're happy to look at the players. And now you get another one in in Bellingham. It's nice to know that they're on the radar of European teams, you know, uh, and they're doing very very good things because that'll only enhance them playing for the England national team. So he, he's a one to really look out for. And to go from Birmingham to Dortmund, that that's a, a special special moment for anybody.
And okay. so it's not only players, Dave, it's also coaches. So we're seeing both ends as well with the Ancelotti's, with Mourinho's, mm. and, and then you've got the yeah, young coaches yeah. coming through um, and have been doing really well. As Sassuolo have got a young coach in Roberto De Zerbi. He's only 41 years old, but he's already been around uh, for about six, seven years as a manager. And um, it, it's funny how the Italians look at it and also Europe, a lot of European uh, clubs and countries that he got sacked at Palermo he got relegated with Benevento, but they saw something in him. They knew that the, the possession-based football that he was trying to play with Benevento was exciting. And uh, so Swallow gave him uh, another opportunity, which they do in Europe. They do that a lot. Um, they say you're not a real coach until you get the sack. So I suppose that I've just qualified as a coach <laughs> a few years back. But um, he's, he's been doing really well, and it's good to see that Sassuolo are up there competing as well. Yeah, Sassuolo, I want, I want to explore a little bit more as they um, stay high and flying in Syria. Can they cause a, a ball over in that top four, top six kind of dynamic? The, the teenager that sparked me asking that question was actually the Hungarian, uh, Dominic Joboslai, who I don't know if you guys saw in the in the Is Euro that because you're Hungarian background? It's because of that, and it's because I called him on the first match day of the Champions League. But you also, did. if you haven't seen what he did against Iceland to qualify Hungary for the Euros next year, when they were 1-0 down the in the 87th minute, yeah, yeah. yeah, that was remarkable. It's like to take a game on your own like that and, and push on and win. Um, Jesse Marsh at Salzburg said he's gone in January. He's the next yeah. one on the production. Oh, without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. Real Madrid are in for him. Bayern, yeah, Arsenal, Real Madrid. In, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's just one that – just more to flag I, that goal. If you haven't I seen it, I just hope, Dave, that he doesn't go straight away for the glitz and glamour of Real Madrid. Yeah. I'd like to see him do have some form of – Good mentoring, whether Harland. from his agent or his parent, and do a Haaland. Go Harland. to a team where you are going to, to play yeah. and you are going to play and you're going to get regular football or you know some form of regular football rather than just going to become another production line at Real Madrid. Because there's a lot of players have gone there for a lot of money uh, and the, you haven't seen them come through the ranks and develop into senior because they've missed out. Well said. Now, it, uh, there is plenty of talent, and in the Champions League, there's plenty of talent. So it's, uh, it's terrific to watch. Gents, to stop me talking for you for another two hours, I'm going to end this podcast because I'm having a great time, but you've got some previews to record, and I can see the light like a halo over John's head yeah, coming on for the, uh, for the uh, previews that you can see on the Optusport app, you can see on YouTube, um, looking at all the huge uh, games this weekend in more detail as well, game by game. Than what we Dave, have you know the only today. reason he's put that bright light on behind him. I know we're doing a podcast and, you know, people might not, won't be able to see. He just, <laughs> he just puts that on. So it distracts from the gray hairs that are coming through thick and fast. <laughs> it's a distraction tactic and I've become very aware of it. So a, a very smart man is Mr. Aloisi. <laughs> Very good. Very the next good. thing I'll do is start colouring it, Reggie. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a good product I can send you your way, mate. <laughs> oh, the vanity of televisions turns you, Bridget. What's going on? Uh, mate, I'll do anything to keep this, um, keep these locks looking as dark as I can for as long as I can. Uh, dear gents, great chatting. We, we had so much in there today, and the Spain and Germany game was a, an added bonus, which we, we, we were not expecting when we uh, turned up uh, this morning. So thanks so much for your time. Enjoy your previews. Enjoy this weekend, and look forward to catching you again on the Champions League next week. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Great to see you and talk to you, JA. Dave, we yeah. are fantastic yet again, and thanks to all the listeners. God bless. Enjoy your football. Here, 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 here. Until the next Gagan Pod, as ever, enjoy your football.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 